So first things first, thank you for joining us this afternoon. So we're going to be looking at a couple of verses from John 13 to 14 as part of our reading through the book of John that we've been journeying through together. If you have missed any of the series so far and you would like to catch up, do check out the podcast because there have been some really cracking talks in the series so far. So very much worth your while having a look at that. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to introduce a little bit about myself because some of you probably don't know. Um, my husband Darren and I have been fortunate now to be part of the church family here at GVC for a little over three years. Before that, we were living in the southeast and attending another vineyard church locally. In that time, we had the great pleasure of meeting and becoming friends with a young couple in that church called Dan and Emily Smith. <laughs> we bonded over a shared love of board games, and as a lot of you probably know, um, they are very kind, very welcoming people, and it's very difficult not to like them. <laughs> so as a result, when they told us that they felt called to plant a church and asked if we'd consider packing up our lives as we knew them and moving across the country to join them, it was a really easy yes. <laughs> However, for those of you that have been around in the church for a little while and maybe are quick at maths or have been paying attention, you might realize that things didn't go exactly to plan because we've been here for three years and didn't the church just celebrate its fifth birthday last month? Uh, yes, it did. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, to cut a long, long, long story short, we got it wrong. <laughs> the time just wasn't right for us to leave where we were and God sort of basically kind of closed the door in our faces or at least that's how it felt to us at the time. Um, looking back now I realize that that is only a really small part of that story and that actually it all did work out to God's plan. But at the time, I felt really, really stupid. I asked myself, how could I have got it so wrong? Why were things all falling apart? Why was it all going so wrong? And frankly, I did not see a world in which Dan and Emily could ever forgive us. <laughs> um, thankfully, um, as I'm standing here now, it's obvious that they did forgive us and they are much nicer people than I am. So, <laughs> thank goodness for that, <laughs> right? Uh, you can pay me later, it's fine. <laughs> um, but the, the long and the short of it was that although they were very graceful about it, I was beating myself up enough for an entire army. <laughs> Like, to be fair, if you do know me that well, like, that's not really all that surprising. <laughs> a lot of you are going, yeah, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> um, and there is a saying, isn't there, that it's uh, kind of best to write and to talk about what you know. So, um, as subject matter expert on self-criticism, here I am. <laughs> um, I don't mind telling you that Actually, for a really long time, I have struggled with my self-worth. I've told myself all of the negative things that it is possible to say about yourself. I'm too broken. I'm not good enough. I'm not likable enough. 
I'm not pretty enough. I'm not motivated enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm not anything enough. <laughs> Basically, anything it's possible to not be enough of. Um, the list does go on and on. I'm so good at this negative self-talk that I actually tattooed a reminder on myself that I am in actual fact enough. And I need to look at that reminder quite often. <laughs> now, my husband, some of you have met him, um, <laughs> he doesn't really get this. And not because I'm especially amazing, although he actually does think that if you ask him when I'm in earshot. <laughs> but it's more because he's not self-critical in that same way. He has many excellent features, although I may be biased. Um, but one of the ones that I do admire the most is his confidence in who he is. That's really great, isn't it? Wish I had more of that. Um, but anyway, some of you may be lucky enough to share this attribute. Um, but even so, I know even he has moments of doubt. Over the years, I've had a fair few work-related, I don't know what I'm doing, wobbles. Um, and he reassures me that almost everyone gets that imposter syndrome, that, that feeling of, oh, I hope nobody finds out that I'm winging it here, <laughs> particularly when it comes to work. And now I know, um, I mean, I really hope that I'm not the only one who gets stuff wrong. Back me up here, guys, thank you. <laughs> A few nods would be real helpful. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna ask you to get a little bit uncomfortable now, okay? Because I'm gonna ask you to just get together in small groups, and I'm gonna ask you to think about a time, maybe this week, maybe recently, where you've maybe got something a bit wrong or felt a little bit silly. Um, and it doesn't have to be something big. It's probably better if it isn't, to be fair. You are gonna be sharing it. <laughs> um, but just, I just want you to kind of share those moments just so that we can really be sure we're all on the same page, that none of us are perfect here. Don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you to share with the entire church, just in your groups. So you can keep this to yourself, but I just want you to know that, uh, that you're not alone. Um, so yeah, just take a couple of minutes, make sure to include the people around you, um, and I'll, yeah, I'll give you a couple of minutes. All righty. Now, if you want to wrap up those conversations, I saw some hands moving around, gesticulating. I saw lots of people very animated, tightly telling some stories there. So I hope, like me, that you find it um, a little bit comforting to know that you're not the only one who does these daft things sometimes. And today, we're going to look at uh, someone else who seems to have got things somewhat wrong. A chap called Judas. And some of you have just gone, oh! <laughs> so, get comfy. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, Judas is one of Jesus' disciples. He was the guy in charge for the disciples' money, kind of like their treasurer. And he was the one who eventually 
handed Jesus over to the authorities to be killed, which kind of sets into motion this whole series of events leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that is so important to Christians everywhere. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us very much about where he came from or who he was, but we do see a little snippet of his kind of personality in John 12, which is obviously last week's chapter, uh, verse 6. In amongst a story where Mary is honoring Jesus by pouring out expensive perfume over his feet and uh, wiping his feet with her hair, which I don't know, I don't have long hair, so I don't really get that story, but it seems like a bit of a weird thing to do. Um, I don't really use my hair a lot for cleaning. Anyway, um, anyway, in this story, um, we hear from Judas, who complains that this perfume uh, should have been sold so that the money could be given to the poor. Um, on the face of it, that seems like a noble enough suggestion, right? Um, but John tells us he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So we know from this little snippet that Judas is a thief. He's a bit dishonest. Um, and he's obviously, as I've already mentioned, the one who hands Jesus over to the authorities to be killed. So he's the one that betrays Jesus, which is revealed in the account of the Passover meal in John 13, which is kind of what I'm taking as our core text today. And uh, should be up there, yeah, lovely, great. I'm just gonna find it in my Bible, we'll read that. Um, so yeah, the, the bit that we are looking at here is John 13. Uh, what's the verse? One and two. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I should have written it down, <laughs> really. Um, so it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So we kind of get a bit of a sense this is what's going to be happening. Um, it's fair to say, I think, that he appears to be the villain of the piece, doesn't he? And despite having a relatively small role in the Bible, his name is mentioned just 33 times in the whole Bible, and most of those mentions are part of the same couple of stories, it's mentioned like five times just in this one section here. Um, despite all of that, he's gained quite a lot of infamy. He's become really well known and his name has become kind of synonymous um, with being used as an insult. Um, if you call someone a Judas, they generally know what that means, right? Um, and in actual fact, I did get a reference, um, just to prove my point here. So this is from Urban Dictionary, which I appreciate is quite a dangerous source material. Don't necessarily recommend that. <laughs> but anyway, calling someone a Judas means um, a person who would sell out their friends for personal benefit, which is kind of what he's doing, to be fair. 
But I don't think that's the whole story. I can't help but think that it's all a little bit unfair on Judas. After all, I think we've all identified that it's not like none of us have ever done the wrong thing. Um, maybe I've never handed someone over to the authorities to be killed, but I've also never been in that situation before, so I can't guarantee what I would do. Um, so who am I really to judge? Even though Judas is in the in crowd, he's getting to witness Jesus' teachings and miracles firsthand. He somehow manages to miss the point. He's swayed by the devil. That's what John tells us. When he should be looking at Jesus and listening to what he has to say, he's focusing on worldly things that are no good for him. He's distracted by money and the acquisition of it. And yeah, we don't know exactly what it would have been like to be that close to Jesus. But I'm sure we can all think of times when we're tempted away from Jesus by things that we know aren't good for us. So I'm going to ask you just to get into your little groups again. And just to briefly share something that distracts you from focusing on your relationship with God. So just two or three minutes to share that and then we'll hear from you guys. Okay, what we got? Shout some stuff at me. Busyness. Mm, that covers a lot of sins, doesn't it? Nice. Phones, is that? Phones, yes, they're very distracting. IT in general, good. Anything else? What we got? Selfishness. Oh, that's another one that could mean a lot of things, isn't it? Children. <laughs> well, I, I will take your word for it on that one. <laughs> for me, mine is absolutely Netflix. 100%. Always Netflix. <laughs> anyway. Thinking about how easy it is for us to lose our focus on God, maybe we can reserve judgment just that teeny bit on Judas for the same thing. Let's have a think for a moment what it would have been like to be one of Jesus' disciples. What did that mean? Being a disciple meant being part of a select group who set aside everything to literally follow Jesus. It was a huge sacrifice, but it was also a major honor to be one of Jesus' chosen ones. So kind of, I like to think of it as being like a little bit like a, a very early, not at all luxurious groupie, if, if anyone can relate to that thought. <laughs> But, but, short of God himself, no one was known to be closer to Jesus than the disciples. That's a real huge thing, isn't it? But you might be thinking, well, this is terrible news, Becca. What are you telling us? Because if Jesus has chosen one of his chosen few, if one of his entourage, one of his closest friends, his crew can mess it up so thoroughly, then what hope is there for us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the other side of the story is 
Jesus. Of course it is, right? It's always Jesus, isn't it? John tells us way back, and excuse me for going back in time, but John tells us way back in John 6, uh, verses 64 to 70, there's like two little bits kind of bookending that whole section, but he tells us that Jesus has known all along that Judas is going to betray him. So here, um, here it says, um, the spirit gives life. This is Jesus talking. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And then it this John talking then, he says, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And this is, weirdly, you're not, not going to be with me probably at this point, but this is a really exciting truth, okay? Bear with me. Jesus has known the whole time that Judas is going to fluff it up. And he loves him anyway. He loves him anyway. The fact that Judas is going to betray Jesus and give him up to be killed doesn't disqualify him from anything in Jesus' book. He still invites him to follow him and become a disciple. And he goes even further than that by giving Jesus, Judas, sorry. <laughs> Jesus gives Judas the responsibility for the group cash. Not just content with letting him be in the 12. He gives him an extra job. In John 13... We've got this amazing, beautiful moment just before the Passover meal. So the disciples, they're all gathering together for this special meal. And Jesus is hosting them. Um, he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be betrayed. Um, and he humbles himself. He puts himself in the position of a servant in order to honor and cherish his disciples Judas included by washing their feet. Imagine that with me. I need to look at the 12 nearest people around you and uh, imagine you've got to wash all their feet. Fancy that? Anyone? No? No volunteers? That's weird. <laughs> it's not that appealing of a concept, is it? But it goes further than that as well, because these are not just any old feet. These are feet that have been walking all day in the first century dirt. They are not going to be terribly clean. They aren't going to be actually pretty gross. They're going to be sweaty from the heat and the walking. They're going to be filthy. They're going to be calloused from the dust and the dirt. Not very nice. It's a really powerful moment of submission from Jesus where you would least expect it. 
And even that isn't enough. Because even after that, in the very moment where Jesus reveals that Judas is going to betray him, he doesn't do what you might expect, a big, bold, accusatory move. There's no divine finger-pointing. Even this is a loving gesture. He takes a piece of bread and he offers it to him. As the host of this meal, it would have been considered a really special honour to be offered a morsel like this from from the host. So if you imagine like you've been invited to someone's house, they're maybe a pretty fancy person, and they've offered you something really wonderful. You're going to take it, aren't you? Of course you are. Even in this, the penultimate interaction with Judas, Jesus is gracious, loving, and generous to him. That's really something, isn't it? Now, I don't know what secret shames you might be carrying around with you right now. But you know some of the things that I carry around with me and things that I've struggled with in the past um, and some of the things that I still struggle with today. And maybe you might think that you aren't good enough for God. Maybe you feel a little bit unworthy. Maybe you've discounted yourself from being a part of the team. Maybe you think... If God knew what I was really like, then he could never want me to be involved with him. And, I mean, side note, he does know. (laughs) He does want you. (laughs) Maybe you disqualified yourself because you don't think God could ever use you. And it doesn't really matter, in a lot of ways, where those feelings come from. Whether it's from things that you've done wrong, or things that have been done wrong to you. Maybe it's times that you found yourself feeling a bit foolish, like we talked about earlier. It could be people have said unkind things to you that you've internalized and found yourself believing. But the good news, the really great news, is that God does see all that stuff. The stuff that we'd rather hide, Things we want to sweep under the metaphorical rug or hide in the cupboard and tidy away. The stuff that we don't share with the people around us because it's a little bit ugly and uncomfortable and we're maybe a bit embarrassed by it. Maybe a little afraid of what people would say about it. Well, God sees that and he knows all about it. He knows even, and this is a little bit scary when you think about it, he knows even about the ugly, embarrassing stuff that we've not done or even thought about yet. Just how he knew about Judas before it had even happened. Judas didn't have a clue, but God knew. And he's still offering that piece of bread, that special favor bestowed on his honored guest and my question for you today is are you going to accept it now 
do know that it's not easy. It takes courage to put down some of the things that you've been carrying around with you. But I do believe that Jesus will help you with that if you want him to. If you want to reach out and take what he's offering. So, I'm going to ask Lauren to come and play for us for a little minute. And I'm going to offer a time of response for you guys. If you would like to reach out and take some of that bread this afternoon. Um, I can tell you about how uncompromising his love for us is. But it's even better if you experience that for yourself. So if you would like to, and you absolutely don't have to if you don't want to, it's completely up to you. Um, if you don't feel comfortable, then you can just sit there. But if you would like to, I'm just going to ask you to just get comfortable in your seats. And when you're ready, just to close your eyes. Let go of the things that might be distracting you. Focus on your breathing. Take a deep breath in. And out. Keep breathing slowly. In. And out. We still have a bit of time before the busyness of life needs to creep back in. So just hold on to this moment for a little while. In your mind, you need to go to a place where you feel you can really be your whole self, wherever you feel most safe, most comfortable. What do you see around you? Is there a comfy place that you can sit and rest? Maybe you're indoors, maybe you're outside. Just want you to rest in that place for a while. Now, imagine Jesus is walking up to you wherever you are resting. Whatever he looks like to you, just picture that really clearly. Does he have long hair or short hair? Maybe he's male, maybe he's female. Perhaps he looks like someone you know, or not. Whatever he looks like, keep that image in your mind. Imagine Jesus is offering you that piece of bread. He's holding it out to you. There's no reservation on his part. He's offering it, no strings attached. He wants you on his team. I think maybe he's speaking to you as he offers that bread out. the time to listen to him. What is he saying? 